Hello, this is Back to the Point. It's been almost podcast, and uh, my name is Migs. I'm one of your hosts, and I'm joined by my good friend, Ian. And uh, Ian, it's been a, uh, a season, a little season, two months, let's say, of highs and lows for the Sharks, mostly lows. How are you through all of this? <laughs> I wouldn't say there are any highs, but um, <laughs> yeah, I've had a good holiday. Nice and restful. Fun with my family. Yeah. Daughter got to see snow for the first Some time. Look... She hated it, but it was adorable. Nice. Good. Nice rest. Yeah, something to look forward to aside from the performance <laughs> of the Sharks. <laughs> yeah, our, our lives are not actually dominated by the Sharks, surprisingly. Yeah, <laughs> thankfully. Yeah. Which is good, because um, they were terrible, and a coach got fired since we last recorded. Yeah. It's been that and we'll, we'll cover loosely. We'll cover some things loosely over the last two months, just because we don't have the time. But we'll definitely cover the coaching change uh, that happened a few weeks ago now, and uh, uncover some of the trends that's been going on with this team. And uh, anybody listening, I just apologize. I'm going through a little bit of a sickness now, so... If my voice sounds off or hard to hear, I apologize. But I'll get I'll get into this today with a little bit of a recap of what's happened since the beginning of November. If we can all remember back to the end of October, the Sharks went through just a really terrible, terrible month of October. And I think they had gone on a four-game winning streak at least at one point after losing the first four. But it was pretty much all bad other than that. And then, uh, you know, thankfully they really turned things around in the month of high winning percentage i don't remember the numbers exactly and that led us to the month of december lots of optimism you got the holidays coming up it's an exciting time and the team just let us down again (laughs) (laughs) big time and this you know a lot of people were calling this from certain sections of the fan base but peter DeBoer was fired and uh that's, you know, regardless of how you feel about it, it's kind of sad. He, he was the team that brought the – sorry, the, 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 the coach that brought the team to the first Stanley Cup final in franchise history. And we have some really amazing memories um, mm-hmm. as Sharks fans because of that. So, totally. you know, thank you, Peter DeBoer and, and the, the other staff, Steve Spot. And um, I don't think uh, – Dave Barr was with them with the cup final, but, but thanks regardless. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, it was I mean, one of those not things. Not only that, that they, uh, the cup final that we were, we went to game three of, which was yeah unforgettable, but also the, the game seven win in uh, Vegas, right? I think two of the most recent, I mean, top 10, probably top five moments of all Sharks fans of this decade. Right, I think you could really narrow those two moments as perhaps being yeah. the greatest two moments led by DeBoer in franchise history so far. Yeah, I think maybe older fans will probably have more opinions from the '90s and mid 2000s. Absolutely, yeah. but yeah, but we're we're young. They're in the top <laughs> ten for sure. Yeah, easily. Jumbo slide so, up there. You know, bitter bittersweet for some people, more sweet for some people, more, <laughs> more bitter depending on <laughs> yeah. where you you fell on the spectrum of how you felt about that coaching staff. But it had come to the point where the team was just doing so terribly. Um, you know, they had that road trip that went through Florida at the end, and I think he got fired right after the Nashville, Nashville game, where yeah. they were kind of competitive and they just flopped. Yeah, and uh, that was the end of it. You know, something. Something that I thought was interesting is, you know, DeBoer, DeBoer said he had a, you know, amazing experience coaching this team and he'll never forget it and stuff. I mean, it was a great four years. But he said, you know, I don't really think it was my fault, of course, right? And he mm-hmm. said, but we'll, he was honest. He said, look, we'll see how it plays out um, in the coming weeks with how the team is playing. And you know what? So far, he's kind of justified yeah. given the sense that, you know, it wasn't his fault because this team is just utter trash still. Yeah. I mean, every, (laughs) every coach in like all of sports has a shelf life and uh, winning keeps that shelf life extended. Right. And if you're not winning or just average, it's not get, your your shelf life isn't getting modified. You're you're just gonna be around. Like if you look it back, like I think is it John Cooper is his name in uh, 
the Lightning. He's the longest tenured coach in the NHL. And, like, he wasn't – he hasn't been that coach for, like, super long. It's not like he's been there for, like, 10 years or something. Mm-hmm. He's only been there because he, – yeah, he's only been there for maybe – I'm not going to pull out a number, but it's not some crazy long time. It just shows that, like, there's, you know, 30, 30 teams that have all changed their coaches and uh, since he's been hired. And, yeah, and, and DeBoer, is, DeBoer is to blame for sure. He's not without guilt. Yes. But um, there is something to be said that his team made it to the Stanley Cup final. Yeah. Playing his system. Right. That was something that Tom McClellan can never do with teams maybe equally as talented or nearly as talented. Especially that year before we got Carlson. Yeah. Like, not that was the year before Carlson, but we didn't have Carlson yet. And probably in the, you know, 2010 and a few years following, those were maybe some of our most talented teams ever. And Tom McClellan couldn't get there. Yeah. And, you know, the, the team said it, Jumbo said it the best. He said in the post locker, uh, not post locker room, you know, after DeBoer was fired, there was a media availability and all the, a lot of players commented. And Jumbo said very directly, he said, yeah, it was time for a new voice. And it's uh, sad, but I think Sharks fans are okay with that. Probably, uh, who knows, Twitter's an a echo chamber. But, right. you know, the the points brought up by people who wanted them DeBoer to be fired, and I think both of us kind of landed on that eventually, was the offense is stagnant. Same type of thing every time, regardless of who the personnel playing is, or even season-to-season personnel being changed. Same offense, power play, terrible. Um, and maybe not utilizing our uh, players in their most effective ways outside mm-hmm. of Brent Burns. Um, yeah. yeah. It's, it's sad to see, but I, I think it was maybe overdue even, honestly. I, I feel like, why did he get all of December? You know, why why did we have to wait all the way until... December to be over or nearly over for him to be fired. Yeah. I think I'll jump in here. It was a halfway or something. So yeah, there, there was that, you know, pretty horrid month of October. And I think he was Mm -hmm. given the benefit of the doubt with some of the transitions that were happening with bringing in young players. Yeah. And to be honest, you know, the team did turn around November, you know, a lot of those wins were not of the remarkable quality. They, they won in overtime or the shootout a few times. And uh, those are really close games, and they ended up being on the winning side most of the time. But then once they started falling and, and rolling down the hill again, um, there had to be a change that was made. And I agree with the point totally. that, you know, like you said, the, sh- the shelf life point and the fact that, you know, as human beings, not just hockey players, but if you've been in an environment and a system that's um, – you've been with for a long time and it's not really exciting anymore, or it doesn't seem to be getting as effective as it used to be. It does get stale. Mm-hmm. It does get stagnant. And I think the players can somewhat sense that as well. And, you know, even to point out the other side of what Jumbo had said in the, um, in the presser, he had said he has like a ton of respect for him as a coach. Like, I think he yeah definitely really appreciated what he, he did for the team. Um, but also at the same time, change so um i I definitely understand that i just think what's interesting is those points that you brought up about the the offense being stagnant and the power play being just really terrible and no movement um you know these are other pieces of the pie in addition to the coaching philosophy and coaching motivation that are still problems Right. So mm-hmm. you, you have that and goaltending. Yeah. They don't even, they, they haven't even had that boost with like the new coach coming in that teams typically tend to have. I'm not sure how sure. accurate that is statistically, but you know, they haven't even had that. And the goaltending has still been terrible. The offense, you know, it's a little bit more dynamic, but I just watched this team and they, they play with their backs to the net so often in the offensive zone. They're going back to this like dump and chase playing around the boards, but they don't do it as well as they used to because Thornton's 40 and Marlowe's 40 and <laughs> Pavelski's yeah. not there. And some of the heavy guys you had before, like Ryan Klo and stuff like that, when 
that style of play was in its heyday. It's, it's not the same. Right. And then on top of that, you know, the power play, it's operating the same. It's like the same setup with, with the, Mm -hmm. the D man on top. Usually that's Carlson. Sometimes Burns, you have the two guys on the wings, which, you know, Burns or Carlson Couture. And that's that plus sign, right? You got the guy in the middle. I think it's Kane and then Mm -hmm. the guy in front of the net, but it's just so stagnant is a great word. Not just no one moves it not being effective, but just, they don't move. They don't move. They don't skate around and move the, they move the puck, but they don't move their bodies. They don't create movement other than that. Anyway, I'm going on a tangent. So So there's still a lot of those pieces of the pie other than the coaching that are still, you know, putrid. Yeah. And yeah, like even in November, like you said, I don't think the Sharks were like had turned a corner. I think they were just riding a variability. You know, they were they were playing well enough to win, but it, they hadn't corrected the underlying problems. Goaltending was still mm-hmm. horrid. Um, and, uh, you know, by the end of December, they had literally ended in the exact same spot they ended October, except for now about half the season's gone. So, um for me, I probably would have liked it, the firing to be a little bit earlier, mm-hmm. because I think that gives Bugner way less time to implement his system and actually make a difference. Yeah, I get that. Right? They they did it at a time where there was like a a couple games, and then there was like a home a home home streak at home. I can't remember the home word. stand. Home stand. <laughs> Um, home streak at home, uh, a homestand and, uh, lots of practices and days in between games for the players to, you know, learn from Bugner and what he wants to do. Um, but wh- you know, why did you have to wait? But let's say, you know, give him 20 games or something like that. There's only 20 games left in the season for him to like really make his mark after it's, you know, been given enough time for the players to learn his new system. So, I wish it would have been done sooner because the direness of the season is enormous, mm-hmm. right? A lot of our players are getting older. Our team is on a knife edge. We tried to turn it over to some more younger players, and this is a knock against the bore, but um, he didn't – there was clearly a disconnect between Wilson and DeBoer, and that was heard in the press conference where Bugner was announced and Wilson spoke at length that, um, you know – we basically gutted the middle of our team in hopes of our prospects coming in and filling in that middle, right? Or not even, to, they didn't even have to do it to the same degree, but, you know, be NHL players and score a couple of goals. But instead, there was about 10 players who were capable and literally none of them stepped up. And then also, DeBoer never taught them. He explicitly said that this is the most amount of teaching that he's had to do and he, he can't teach. And then in the the press conference with Wilson, Wilson said, we need a coach that teaches. So there was, there was clearly some disconnect going on and um, it's hurt the team. And and now you see that some of these players again are getting some looks and uh, more extended looks in the middle of people coming up from Barracuda who hadn't been getting chances. Um, Like uh, his name is Shelman, but it starts with the K blows my mind. (laughs) Um, but you know, his not an American name, so go for it. All good. Um, he's been doing great in the fourth line. And, uh, and you know, no, has been no, no, Nason, Nason. He's Nason. he's a really yeah, physical the, player. Like he's, he's really injected some energy. Yeah, he's been as great well. in the fourth line as well. That's a, you know, waiver pickup. Um, you know, it's just sad that so much time was given to the point where the season was almost unrecoverable for me. I, I think, the Sharks have enough – they have a roster to make the playoffs and be good enough. Um, how far they go, you know, is whatever. But I think the fact that they waited so long and they sunk so low, I, I doubt that the Sharks can really turn it around when some of the Pacific teams are, you know, doing much better than expected. Yeah. And, you know, it's just made so much worse is because – We've seen that all of our prospects that we thought were ready are, are mm-hmm. not close. Right. And that was a shock, but you know, that's on, that's on Doug Wilson to accurately, you know, scope out and, and scout the prospects and what their skills are. And if they are ready 
and we don't have the first round pick. There's no silver lining. You know, we're doing so bad and we don't own our own first round pick in this first in this season because right now we would be picking the top mm-hmm. five. We're like the fourth worst team in the NHL Oof. right now. So <laughs> that's literally a lottery yeah. pick. That's literally we literally could have the chance to pick first overall and get this, you know, potentially generational player, Alexis Lafreniere, which is everyone's you know, drooling over. Yeah. Or, you know, top two picks, you know, top three picks are yeah. huge. And we're, we're on the cusp of that. And we don't have our own pick. And there's no way the Senators are going to yeah. give it back. I have to. You know, and, and if we trade people to get one, it's going to be like a playoffs team's pick or something yeah. like that. You know, it's going to be like top 20 or, you know, yeah, like 20 to 30, 15 to 30, which, okay. But, like, it's literally the worst case scenario and it's happened. The situation is really dire. And and I agree with most of what you're saying. I will say, though, that as far as the coaching change and when it happened, I don't think that a different system a little bit earlier would have made that much of a difference. I think from the standpoint of a kick in the pants and getting the players to wake up at the end of October, um, it might have... I would say at the end of November... Or well, you know, that wouldn't have made sense because they were December winning again. at the end of November, right? So yeah, I that, mean that once he started losing, yeah, but again that that's essentially when they fired him anyway. So I think you either yeah. fire him at the end of October after they lost a bunch of games, or you fired him when they did, mm-hmm. right? There was only two options really based on how the team was doing, unless you just fired him during the winning streak, which wouldn't really make sense, but. My point is, I think that regardless yeah. of the system, the, the team, like, we can't, we can't just exonerate the players and be like, it was all the coach. Yes, with the, it, oh, totally. regardless of the system, because we've seen with Mugner's changes so far, yeah, it hasn't been adopted fully yet. They're still learning. But he was still an assistant coach with the team for, you know, this season and prior seasons, right? They know this guy and, and what he's capable mm-hmm. of. So I think a lot of the onus plays on, falls on the players. Regardless of the system, they've totally. been absolutely underperforming. And that's like top to bottom. That's Burns. That's Carlson. That's, that's uh, Thornton. That's Couture. That's Meyer. That's LeBanc. That's uh, Vlasic was going through a tough stretch, and he's kind of woken up a little bit. Like some of these players have started to wake up a little bit, but everybody top to bottom has been underperforming. And you it's can bad. say like Doug Wilson, mm-hmm. you know, was counting on these young players. Like, fine, that's a little bit of a gamble, but – Pavelski left. We weren't going to sign him for $7 million a year after his injury history and then signing Carlson. Like, yeah, you, yeah, you Mm -hmm. signed Carlson. Are we just going to like change our tune all of a sudden and be like, Oh, this was because, because if you're mad at Doug Wilson of, of incorporating these young players in the lineup, then you must be mad that he signed Eric Carlson and that he let Pavelski go and that he let Don Skoy go. Yeah, it's a bit of a change in the status quo, but there's always going to be decisions that G- GMs make that are risky, and it hasn't panned out. Yeah. But would I say, would I have had Doug Wilson really do it that much differently? Probably not. There's probably not much else he could have done. Would I love to sell Pavelski on the team for sentimental reasons? Yes, but would I rather have Carlson for the next eight years? <laughs> yes. So, I mean, like, I think we need to, I think, yeah. you know, the Sharks are really in a terrible situation. You highlighted that. Up. But we need to stay, take a step back and realize, like, because I think it's getting to the territory of let's fire Doug Wilson. But let's take a step back and remember that we also felt this way a few years ago. And then the Sharks, like, went to the Stanley Cup final, like, a year later. <laughs> right? Like, there's always going to be ebbs and yeah. flow. We as Sharks fans have been very fortunate to have our team be perennial playoff contenders for the last like 15 years, like 20 years. They have made the playoffs consistently. Mm-hmm. And now that they're doing bad, which is can be just like a normal ebb and flow season where like they're underperforming, like it happens. Like I don't want Hasso Plotner or anybody else to freak out and fire Doug Wilson when he's had a track record of getting through rough patches, right? It's like, it's on the players. Yeah, okay, sometimes players have a bad season, and I might just chalk this up to that, and I understand, understand the situation is bad. But then again, that is the general manager's, the, uh, general manager's job to try and rectify that as best as you can. And maybe that might lead us to talk about the trade deadline and what might happen in the coming months, if you want. But if you have any other points, go yeah. ahead. 
I would I would say that I'm I'm not in the fire Doug Wilson bandwagon. I think it's a serious black mark um, on him that I, you you said that um, like if you're I forget how you phrased it, but you basically linked saying that like you can't have I, I won't summarize it, but basically. I, I want Carlson. I think every move Doug Wilson did in the offseason was correct. My my big knock against him is his lack of uh, – um, he, he didn't evaluate the prospects correctly. And not only – like, you can get it wrong because, you know, it's so variable and you only have the information you have at the time. But um, we looked at it and, you know – Ferraro is doing great. There are a couple people who have really stepped up and are, are quite there. Probably just Ferraro, but, you know, we've seen Gregor be good and use his speed, and a couple players have scored their first NHL goal, mostly on the fourth line, but we were looking for third-line third player, third-line level players, right? And he, he didn't just miss on a couple players. He missed on literally about 10 players. And, and that's the issue. But how do you it's control not, that? I think he, I think he made the correct move. If you, so the thing is, is he knew that he didn't have his first round pick, and he knew that he gutted the team, the middle, the middle six of the team. You, you could say, and I completely agree with how he did that and why he did that. One hundred percent on that. No issues. However, if you know that you don't have your first round pick and you're ha- making a huge gamble. He had like Hassel Plotner is like a billionaire, <coughs> right? He puts a ton of money into this team. There's no reason why he can't pull in extra, extra people, extra evaluators to really, really look at these players and get a serious in-depth analysis of these players. Who knows if he already did that and we're just, you know, completely worst case bad luck scenario where everyone said they looked right. But, you know, I went to the games in, in, in Irvine at the tournament I went to one game and we all saw the games are highly touted prospects. None of them impressed. You know, there were signs of this isn't kind of working out very well um, earlier before the season even started. So to me, I think that's, and even in, even in training camp, no one really stood out. And some of these players were getting long looks, but you know, DeBoer was talking about this through training camp and preseason. Like there were signs a long time before this, but, you know, no adjustments were made. And for me, I think you have all that time to look and to study. And the fact that he knew that, like, yes, there's always ebbs and flows, and that's right. And I, I agree with you there. We're definitely in an ebb. But we cannot afford to be this bad and not have a franchise-altering pick under our control. Mm. That is a fireable offense. <sighs> If nothing is rectified and we finish this way, if we finish bottom five and we don't have our first round pick, Doug Wilson should be fired. Although, what will that do? Nothing. It'll just make a couple people feel good because the person who's owning that mistake had to pay for it, but it doesn't get our pick back. You know? Yeah. I mean, first of all, hindsight is twenty twenty. When you could say like, totally. we're doing bad yeah. and these prospects haven't played out. And yeah, they weren't that impressive in the prospect stuff, but I'm pretty sure our attitudes were different at the beginning of the season because we were like, wow, there's a good pool of players we were to hopeful. try out and stuff. I mean, it could have been glass half full, mm-hmm. definitely, right? So I think that plays a role. And also I think scouting and like understanding if players are going to be good. I think, you know, I definitely don't know hardly anything about this, but I I imagine that that's very difficult to predict, right? Especially if you're scouting Mm -hmm. players at a minor league or adolescent level, whatever they're playing at and trying to translate to the NHL, it's very difficult. And then there's other factors that play into role. Like, yeah, what is the coach's system? And is it going to allow these players to flourish? Which is, you know, one of the problems that you could say DeBoer had, he didn't really do a good job of incorporating young players, nor did he really want to. He feel like he was, uh, you know, kind of starving mm-hmm. for, for skill that they didn't really have from, from veterans. So I understand what you're saying, but I, I understand that, you know, GMs are going to be placed in a somewhat impossible position at, at certain points. And 
like you said, if nothing is done, I think that's an issue, but depending on how things go, we'll see how things play out. Like what is he going to do at the trade deadline? Is he going to try and trade Brendan Dillon or Kevin LeBanc or, you know, something that we haven't even predicted to try and, you know, fill the cupboards back up again of the prospects pool. So yeah, you have uh, to get determined. Totally. Yeah. I think you're right. Like there is, um, I think all your points are great. Yeah. Um, moving forward to like how the season has gone. Like we just won, we won our what second game under the homestand. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, uh, which is also Bugner, right? Yeah. yeah. Bugner's era is like 11 games in or something like that. Yeah. And you know, a big issue was that all these players, some of them were just not committed to playing uh-huh. the system. And it was very publicly stated among multiple beat reporters the coaches said it themselves. Both coaches said it. Bugner said it. Captains said it. Players said it. Everyone said it. But no one says who. And it's so infuriating as a fan to know that if everyone just agreed and played the system, results would be drastically different. Yeah. You may not be winning the Stanley Cup, but you think you'd win a few more games. Be drastically along the way. Different. Yeah. Totally. And it is so infuriating. Because it's just someone's stubborn personal choice that wrecks the whole team. And there's a group of people doing it. We have come to know that it was uh, Kevin LeBanc and Timo Meyer, which hurts my soul because I love Timo. <laughs> but it has colored my opinion of him now. You know, like, like how selfish do you have to be to, like, literally tank your season? You're like, well, I'm getting my money, so it doesn't matter. But, you know, it's... It's just infuriating as a fan because then last game, they just like against Philly, they just like flipped the switch. They had a team meeting and everyone aired out everything and they talked about how pissed they were and they named names and all that stuff. Of course, the public doesn't get to hear that. You know, we just hear that things were done. They had a magic meeting and now all of a sudden they score six goals. Timo has a hat trick and um, in the past couple of games and like Jones looks okay. You know, Jones lets in yeah. one goal, right? What on earth? Earth. <laughs> last season it was a switch right they're like well doug wilson came in when we lost to the senators at the canadians or something like that and then we uh yeah we just decided to be better and then they freaking were the best team in the nhl for, <laughs> for like a few 30 months. games carlson looked like he was gonna win the norris <laughs> yeah. and then like mvp Hart, lady bing freaking every trophy he looked unstoppable uh, no, Carlson. Carlson, Carlson. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then, like, what? You just decide <laughs> to do that? Like, how infuriating is yeah. that? You know, like, you've decided to throw away your system because you're like, eh, I want to take more shots from way far out instead of actually working a little harder. Like, that colors my opinion of these two players. But Bugner himself said that there was, like, like three or four or five players in this situation that we're, we're not doing. Timo Meyer and Kevin LeBanc are the only ones we know about because he literally benched them and we can go and see the time, the shift chart, and see that they barely played any minutes in the third period at all. <clears throat> yeah. Right? And then they were specifically called out earlier in the one overtime loss where they had a terrible Ooh, run yeah, of events. Yeah. Yeah. And the overtime loss against LA was drastic. It was horrible. Um, but just like what? Yeah. I think they're... It's in it is. it is. It's really frustrating. But I think when it comes to, you know, the way a team's playing and going through a tough season like this, I mentioned sports psychology on another podcast, which, you know, I haven't studied. But just, just loosely getting the idea that a team's doing badly, right? So players, especially maybe young and immature players, instead of, like, you know, digging in their heels and trying to come together and get the team to to play the right way, to play the way that they're supposed to, they might think, you know, and this is, of course, you know, we're not fully sure about the situation, but let's let's assume that what, what we're talking about is correct, that young players like Meyer and LeBanc, for example, are just doing their own thing. I mean, they may be doing that because they're like, well, you know, we're losing a bunch of games and this is not really working. So I'm just going to try and do my own thing to get stuff to happen. Right. They have this sense of 
self-confidence or I'm just going to take this upon my shoulders to do things. I mean, that might be one aspect of things. And then when player, when the team is doing badly as a whole, I mean, it's just, they're kind of down in the dumps. What before this Philly game, the last, however many games they hadn't scored two legit goals in regulation, even the win against Vancouver where they won four, two, that was two empty netters that allowed them to get that win. Mm -hmm. Like they, the offense is just not happening. Right. The team is just, they, they lack confidence. Probably they're, they're not getting the system to really work. They were kind of like in it in some of those games, but they, they got let down because they couldn't get anything going. Right. And that absolutely has to do with a confidence thing and motivation, whatever. Right. You said like they have this team meeting and then they start to, you know, come together and play together. It is really frustrating. And I think it is, it just goes to show like the Sharks haven't really been too much. Well, I guess they have had instances in the past, even recent past where they had to pull themselves up by their bootstraps and get, get together. Like you said, that meeting after the Ottawa loss last year and they've done it and you know, they Mm -hmm. might do it again. We were talking before we started the podcast about what our outlook is on the remainder of the season. And you had, you had pulled up that stat chart that shows the Sharks had what a 5% chance. And like a predicted 5% chance. Yeah, it's just terrible. But I mean, outlook, like those things are in flux and we see every year, you know, teams that are kind of down in the dumps can pull themselves at least to kind of compete for a playoff spot at the end of the season. So it's possible, but like we've been talking about all these pieces of the pie that were an issue, like the coaching and the goaltending and the offense and the power play, like they haven't shown anything that really inspires confidence. This one game against Philadelphia was Mm -hmm. kind of positive. It wasn't, it wasn't the greatest game, but it was one of those things where they kind of started out still making some mistakes and kind of slow, couldn't get things together. And then as the game progressed, they kind of they kind of bought in and they showed some signs of life. But that's one game. You know, they've had good games this season before, too. Not great games, but it really needs to last. Mm-hmm. They really do need to commit. You know, what are they committing to? I don't know. Just being better. <laughs> Playing better. Yeah, playing playing the, the way you're designed. the goaltending really needs to like, – the goaltending, like, it starts there. Like, that that can absolutely yeah. let the team down regardless of what anybody else is doing. Yeah, and I, I think we saw in the December losing streak that, uh, like, we just couldn't play the whole game. Mm-hmm. We would enter the third period with, like, a competitive game yeah. and just get trounced every time. And uh, these past three games – Dell has looked good. Jones had one instance where he looked good in this win versus Philly. Like trepidation. Like, okay, <laughs> is this real? Like, I think Bugner is handling the goalies well. Or so uh, Nabokov because like. he's uh, been working with them. Yeah, Nabokov plus Bugner. That change is definitely, welcome. you know, welcome. And it seems like it's kind of helping a little bit as time goes on. But again, you know four good performances out of 40 does not mm-hmm. make a winning team yeah. or a good goalie. Right. So, I mean, you referenced it. Like there's a, there's some good math behind this and there's a 5% predicted 5% chance of making the playoffs. And there's only like two teams that are like out and away, like locks to make the playoffs that are like just clear and above everyone else. And I think it's Colorado and St. Louis in the West. And there's, just like everyone else, except for Chicago, LA, and us, and Anaheim, is in the middle. No, like everyone is in some shade of the middle. But there's only like two. There's like really two groupings at the top with two teams, and three and uh, three teams at the bottom. Those are the only like tight grouping of players or of teams' performance. And Chicago's doing better than us. Everybody's doing better than right? us in the, in the West. <laughs> Yes, oh, we, we are literally the LA worst team in the Western somehow. Conference in terms of this. <laughs> no, we're below LA because I'm sure there's like a tenth of percent. No, no, no. Below we have 37 points like and they have 36. Because we still got a point in that uh, yeah. overtime loss to them. Yeah, and then, but yeah. Anaheim also has so, 37. But yeah, Chicago. Nashville's doing terribly, but they still have five more points than us. Minnesota's yeah. better than us. It, it, if Minnesota is better than you. No! Dude, if Minnesota is better than you in the West. You're in a bad situation because Minnesota is perennially bad. (laughs) Yeah, they're just like the epitome of average. (laughs) Below average. Anyways, my point being is that like, yeah, below average. 
um, you know, th- this is out of our hands. Yeah. You know, even if we, the only way this is not out of our hands is if we like literally win every game, right? But that's mm-hmm. not going to happen. So, like, we're going to have to get some points percentage of somewhere of, like, 70 or maybe higher to get close to be back in the playoffs or to, like, try to make it to the playoffs. But also, there's, like, seven teams, eight teams all kind of clumped around some teams underperforming that you would have expected to be there. You know, this is not – this is – this is there's too many teams in the hunt for us to have control of our own destiny Yeah. You know, and, and that's very worrisome that we're going to miss the playoffs. You know, if we miss the playoffs as literally the last team to not make it or the first team to not make it, um, you know, that makes that pick not be top five, you know, but still like, was that make it like top 10, you know, <coughs> top 15? Like still, that, you know, we picked Tino Meyer at, at ninth overall. Yeah, you know, like that's that still hurts a ton. Does it hurt less than a literal franchise pick? Yes, but still, like, we basically have to make the playoffs and kind of, yeah, you, you know, it's just completely out of our hands and it sucks. So, you know, if we're still losing by the end of the year, or even before the end of the year, like before the trade deadline, like I hundred percent believe we should trade Dylan. Yeah. Right. Trey Dillon for is the highest prospect or the highest possible pick you can get or a bunch of picks so that we can get, um, you know, package them for a higher pick. But like no one in the top 10 is trading their draft pick, you know, because they're also doing bad and they need draft. Picks. Yeah. You know, like, unless it's some team in a weird situation that has a stockpile of picks, we're not getting in the top 10 via trade unless we, like, trade up. No, I don't see know? that happening. I think if we... And then even then, it it's a pick is a pick. It depends on who you pick there. And the Sharks are okay at drafting. They they kind of missed out basically on a, a couple years in a row before, like, w- with the draft ending in Dylan Gambrell. Like they didn't, you know, all the first round picks that we picked in that time, you know, aren't playing on the Sharks. So some of them have been traded. Some of them are like aren't even in the yeah. NHL. So that kind of hurts. And who knows what Dylan's price tag will be, but he's playing good. You know, he's a, he's a bright spot on the team for sure. And who wouldn't want him? He has like a 3.25 million cap hit. You know, if we retain some salary to try to maximize the pick we can get, you know, for some team's playoff run, like, that's big. You know, he's a great player. He's exactly who you want in the playoffs. He's top four defenseman. Like, he can he can do what needs to be done. Mm-hmm. But, you know, do we also trade one of Burns or Vlasic or something like that? Like, you know, a lot of people say we have too much money tied into the Decor. those big yeah. three defensemen. And I, I tend to agree. I think you can have maybe two of those guys, but three? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, that... Seems like Vlasic right now is... <sighs> Vlasic or Burns are, are seemingly the odd people out right now. That would seem to be... But I, I understand... That would be a franchise altering I understand move. what that would look like. I think that that was seen as a strength, you know, because you have two Norris Trophy winners on your blue line. But Burns certainly has not yeah. been doing very well lately. And Vlasic mm-hmm. has kind of gone back to his steady ways after having a rough start. But yeah, I mean, Dylan, yeah. Dylan, everybody's targeting Dylan as that, that target, you know, which you could see him being traded to a playoff contender and, you know, maybe getting or just some second team. round. I think any yeah, team some second round picks. Like I don't necessarily see him going for a first, but if you're going to get a first, it's going to be a late first. Right. So, yeah. yeah, I mean, we'll see how things play. I don't play out. It's, like you said, we might be missing out on a what do you call a lottery pick, but I don't think the Sharks are going to end mm-hmm. up like 27th or 28th in the league, right? I think that they're probably going to get things yeah. together enough to get around like middling. You know, that, that might put them at like 17th, mm-hmm. 18th ranked. They're going to get it together enough where, you know, they're not in lottery pick status, but you have to hope that they're going to go yeah. all out. We saw last year, the year before, they went on a run where they were like 26-2. and two. I'm just pulling that number out of 
<laughs> nowhere, but it was something like that, right? They're capable of going and playing really well, you know? And what that looks like is, you know, you can't really lose more than one or two in a row and you have to win, you know, go on three, four, five, six game winning streaks. And uh, it's yeah. a tall order. I, I think point. the roster is there. The roster is there to challenge the playoffs. Well, like, we, like we've been saying, it's not in our own destiny. And I think you're good. You're, like right now, it's very dire. We could end up in the same position. And if we end up in the same position at the end of the season, like all options need to be considered of you know, firing everyone, trading everyone. Like that all has to be on the table. It doesn't mean that will happen, but you know, if we get to the end of the season, we're still a top five pick. Something is wrong and our franchise needs to be corrected. That may sound drastic, but I'm kind of with you. I don't think we're going to end in the top five picks situation. Like, you know, bottom of the league because we don't have our first round pick right now. So I'll phrase it that way. If we still end in the bottom of the league, you know, bottom five of the league, that's terrible. Bottom 10 of the league, still terrible. If we're in the middle, just outside of the playoffs, I think that's better. Things look a little bit um, – things look a little better. I'm trading that pick for Carlson for sure, you yeah. know. I, I feel better about that. But, you know, still, I don't think I, – I think if Doug Wilson tries to buy at the deadline and we're talking like buying to make the playoffs this year as sacrificing of like future – I think that's a that's an issue. I don't think yeah, we should do that. No, uh, not right now. I hope he won't. <laughs> but you know, if he if he makes you know people are active around the trade deadline, so if he, you know, puts together two prospects for a prospect that's more highly rated, like you know, I'm okay with making trades that are like not for this year yeah. only. You know, if they're moving future assets, but we've seen that our future assets are not great, so. I think there's hope for the season, but I think we're both on the same page that I do not think the Sharks are going to make the playoffs. I think they'll make it close. And I think the, the blaring alarms on everyone's heads are going to be silenced a little bit and it'll just be disappointing. Well, I mean, like you said, I think it's going to be somewhere that's not so terrible of losing the lottery pick. They're probably going to work their way up. Like I said, and uh, mm-hmm. but here's to hoping that they do a little bit better and, and get in as a wild card or <laughs> low division pick, right? Watch, they're gonna have like a deep playoff. Yeah. <laughs> and you know what? That's what happened in 2016. We would be too. delighted. They were like had a really good second half that year too. <laughs> yeah, we would be delighted. Like our goal here is not to have the Sharks be as worse as possible and for us to be right. Our goal is to be wrong in the best case yeah. scenario. You Dude, know, we want like, this to. Of course, we want the team to win the Stanley Cup. We want the costs. Sharks to be the next you know, like, St. Louis Blues, except without headhunting their way to the Stanley Cup. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> right. Oh my gosh. Like Shane, Shane throwing, but absolutely they had hunted their way to the oh Stanley my gosh. Cup. <laughs> yeah. And you know what? You know what? The Blues are smart. You know they're smart. The the the. The NHL literally says, okay, well, in the playoffs, we don't care about rules. So they're like, oh, we're going to take advantage of that loophole and that change of behavior. And then we're going to play against the – we're going to play yeah. going over the rules. We're going to step over the line so much. Because you're allowing us to. So why yeah. not? You know, and people are like, well, you know, um, you know, players like that shouldn't be in the league. And, like, that's not how you – you win and it's like, yeah, it's not how you win the regular season a hundred percent. But unfortunately the NHL has decided that the product they show for, you know, like a thousand games over across all the teams played for 82 games Uh per team of the season is not actually what people care about. And they only care about heavy, hard hitting. (laughs) And it's like, okay, that's (laughs) infuriating. It's so dumb. The games are going to be intense. The games are going to be intense regardless because it's the playoffs. You know, people don't have to be literally getting career-ending concussions and, like, major injuries and stuff for it to be, you know, you don't have to, like, kind of allow for that to happen by tossing away the rule book, you know? Like, how amazing would it be for, like, your franchise player to, you know, win the over overtime goal by doing, like, a sweet, 
like deke around and then a like toe drag and like sniping top corner versus like oh yeah uh the guy got checked in the head and then um we banged it away at the front of the net after getting cross-checked a couple times and the puck kind of leaked through the goalie's pads like i know which one i want to watch and it's the first scenario right i want to see the most skill at all times and like yeah it's going to get people are going to start hitting more and stuff like that because it's the playoffs and they want to win and the games are going to be super intense because the cost of losing is so high. But, like, I still want to see skill. I don't want to see Brutes playing around. Like, I don't want to watch – if I wanted to watch that, I'd watch the Blues or Vegas. Yeah. But it's also, it's also like, a, if you play the right way and you don't do those illegal things and it's actually enforced – like, we've talked about this in the past. Players will adapt. Mm-hmm. If you step the line and you start throwing yes. your shoulder into people's heads – if you start like getting away with like blatant interference or cross checking that doesn't get called for some reason in the playoffs, if this stuff actually starts to change and starts to get called, yeah, the players are going to have to actually rely on their skill and not just be the heavier team, right? That that mm-hmm. that made their way and were tougher and won. It's like, yeah, hockey is a physical sport, but there's kind of clear, pretty clear delineations. And you know, it's sad though, even in the regular season, it's falling apart because the DOPS. And the officiating is like trash. It's like worse than it's absolutely mm-hmm. ever been that I've ever seen. I, it, I as a fan agree. in the last like almost ten years, like the the refs are such garbage nowadays, and so are the Department of Player Safety. Like they just don't care. Like the the league just doesn't care about that sort of thing. They want it mm-hmm. to become. They're almost like want it to be more like that playoff stuff and just let everything go. And players are getting like injured left and right, like week by week. Um, Mm -hmm. it's, it's ridiculous, but there's a completely sidetracked, but good tangent to get on. I agree. I let us down this hole, but I will say there is a Twitter account called NHL player safety Mm -hmm. mod, or it's like, uh, that's the name. And it looks like the department of player safety handle or something like that. And they basically comment about, across the league, all the illegal hits to the head and all the illegal hits and things that should be suspension and fined and stuff like that. And they also talk about, they track concussions and there's roughly like, I'm going to go a little bit lower, but I think at one point there was an average of six concussions a week across every NHL player, all the, sorry, all the NHL players in the league. So I think, you know, just making sure I'm kind of dumbing it down a little bit. That's still three concussions a week, three and a half concussions a week. And, you know, those are based off of mostly illegal hits and then they just turn a blind eye on pretty much everything. And it's pretty infuriating. And, you know, if we're reduced to talking about this because the Sharks are so bad, then it's kind of sad. But No, it's bad. It still infuriates us. And and it's been – and the Sharks have been on the wrong end of this, it seems, a lot more this season. And especially with penalties this season for whatever reason – after getting everything going the right way and the whole NHL hating us because the refs if were bad. If there was ever like anything. a year to think of just like regular season conspiracy. Oh my gosh. Against the Sharks. It would be this year, right? Like oh, yeah. the, the refs absolutely were slighted yeah. in last year's playoffs because they missed the hand pass and it was just like yeah. considered so egregious. And they called the wrong that the refs do a terrible job at enforcing player safety and rules. And then the offside thing too. So it's just like, it's just like they're they have a vendetta. Why wouldn't I believe they have a vendetta? They 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 officiate things terribly, so they have a track record of letting things go and players are getting injured. And that's a league wide thing, right? That's something we talked about. But in particular to our team, it's like there is history, there is context that's that they're just letting teams do things to us that. And, and, you know, sometimes it's on a player basis, like Evander Kane. He literally really gets singled out. And it's ridiculous. Definitely. It's absolutely true. Yeah. And then even in that Philadelphia game, did you see that hook they card, called on Mar- Marlowe? It was just like. Oh, yeah. He was like what? in front of the guy. What? He was like in front of the guy and he didn't even take the, 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 um, the hook of his stick. He didn't, it wasn't even there. It's like the shaft is across the body, but that happens all the time. And then they, then there was like. You know, something that I've seen, especially with when teams play the Sharks, it, uh, other teams are getting away from interference, like, left and right. Like, Remember you are allowed to interfere to with Sharks players Remember when to Vegas no complained end about without that? getting called. 
Oh my gosh. Oh, it's so ridiculous. And it's like, they call really light things against us sometimes. And then interference, they just miss like all the time, which, you know, like you said, it's a playoff thing across the board where they just let it go. Mm -hmm. But it's like, let's, (laughs) let's call this against the sharks or like against their favor. How many, Uh, anyway, how many, uh, definitely conspiracy theory talk here. It's not conspiracy theory for some of it, for sure. Like if Eric Kane, a (laughs) hundred percent is a ref to a different standard than everyone else in the league. Or at least the majority yeah, of players. I just sure don't trust the refs anymore. Yeah. And, and like, you the just, like, really obviously, bad. like, sometimes players know what they're doing and they take penalties and they know they did it. But, like, how many times have we just, like, seen players in the box being across, like, all teams just being completely befuddled about what they were just called for? You know? Like, come on. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, <laughs> we should wrap up before this turns into an anti ref podcast and we get fined like John yeah. Orwell. <laughs> it already but, is. Oh, did you see John Tortorella's thing? Oh, yeah, he was pissed. He was pissed because they're just like, yeah, we didn't add time back to the clock. I guess his play- goalie got injured, and they literally lost the game because of it. It's like, get out of here. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, my gosh. And, of course, the NHL Yeah, like, from eh. a standpoint, like, I like that somebody's ripping into the refs, you know? Yeah. And the NHL's response was the just N- a bunch the of, league? like, fluff words. And then they're like, now we're talking to Yarma Kekalainen and, and Torts because – you know, that was unacceptable. It's like, well, your refs are unacceptable. <laughs> like, be better. Oh. <laughs> your whole, the, the league needs an overhaul. Like, totally. they need to fire so many people for what they let happen it's the in the league. The stupid old boys club oh gosh. of enforcers and yeah. illegally playing players all the time, getting the role of Department of Player Safety. It's like, make this a committee and have it like a multidisciplinary committee of not NHL. Well, maybe one or two people would be NHL yeah. people, but like have some doctors in there. But by committee, that's yeah. only one or two voices, right? Totally. Yeah. It's infuriating. Anyway. Refs suck. It is. It Sharks is. But suck. Anyway. It's all bad. <laughs> Sharks suck, but we're hopeful, but yeah. they're probably not going to make the playoffs. Yeah. But Refs suck. They're going to play better. And... I like the Sharks. <laughs> yeah. 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 Absolutely. Anyway. Okay. Yeah. All right. I well, think we got that out. Good, good chat. <laughs> Glad we were able to get back together after two months. Yeah, it's, well, it's, <laughs> it's, it's holidays and, hopefully, you know, people get Yeah, busy. it's tough. It's, it's tough. Um, so hopefully we'll get back together relatively soon, the next two to three weeks, mm-hmm. and um, see if anything has changed. I believe it. That, I hope it time. will. We got to put all our, muster all our energy into making something change. <laughs> yeah, we'll send good vibes. We'll yeah. be like, okay. they'll be like Goku, and we'll send them our spirit. Yeah, I was definitely thinking spirit of the earth or whatever. (laughs) All right. Well, dude, go sharks. (laughs) Go sharks regardless. Yeah. Yeah. Always. All right. All right. Till next time. Catch you guys later. Bye.